You're listening to Halloween, the definitive companion with your host, my good friend, Daniel Kruber and me, Gav Murphy. Today, we're catching up with Laurie 40 years later and acting like none of the other stuff happened. And stick around to the end of this episode because to get you ready for Halloween Kills, we'll be talking about next week's very special episode and hearing from the one and only Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay, Daniel, what is the premise of Halloween 2018? Michael Myers escapes custody and returns to Haddonfield 40 years after the events of Halloween. Nice and simple. I like it. I like it a lot. Ah, man, like we were just talking now. It was three years ago we got to go watch this at Universal. I think we had like an early morning. Well, so I think it was first thing in the morning. I think we had a little bacon sandwich beforehand. We did, a little Perfect. bacon sandwich and a cup of tea. And then watch this because we were doing work for it for IGN. So I interviewed Jamie Lee Curtis and we were doing lo- loads of like little We'd also done the trailer that. breakdowns throughout the summer yeah. leading up to it as well. So we were very into this film. Big into it. But yeah, I remember, I don't think. Maybe other than like Force Awakens, I don't think I've been as as excited sitting down in a like pre film. I think it's a funny comparison. I think that's quite apt for this film because absolutely, yeah. Even though this furthers the story, mm. a big part of this film is celebrating the original, clinging to those moments, trying to recreate them, but also yeah. create something new and forging a new direction. Because we've just done the Rob Zombie ones as well. Oh, it's so nice watching this, isn't it? I hadn't watched this for a year. I watched it last year at Halloween because Clara hadn't seen this, so I showed it to her. Having have to watch the Rob Zombie ones and then get to watch this. I came home from a stag do very hungover, stuck this on. I had such a lovely time watching it. I think it's genuinely exceptional. I think you can put it alongside the original. You know, uh, there were discussions about making a Halloween 3 without Rob Zombie, but using his continuity. Why? I just, I just was that, you know, there's a weird... I guess thing. they make money, do they? Or? Well, also, there's this weird thing where if Dimension didn't make a Halloween film by X amount of years, mm. the rights revert back, and that's what happened. Right. They, they fumbled it, so the rights went back to Miramax. So Disney owned this film, but they put it out through Universal. They didn't want, Disney didn't want the thing, they wanted to release it through somebody else. Um, I think they had already, because they made this film with Jason Blum, right. and they really wanted Blum, Miramax, which was bought by Disney. Miramax wanted to work with Jason Blum because he yeah. was like the new guy who was making the best horror films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the point with Blumhouse, he has a distribution deal with Universal already. Right. So it had to go out through Universal. So they just okay. struck a deal. That's fine, yeah. That's good. Well, because I, I, we always talked about this before. It was just like, I thought, because I thought it was he was owned by Universal rather than just distributed by it. So, so they did some of the older films as mm, well. They did Halloween 3. Because the cool thing about that is, like, I've said this before, but they own Halloween and they own The Purge. And if the night he came home was The Purge Night... night what a fucking film that is. Because you've got all these psychos running about I mean, trying to kill families and then Michael Myers comes I almost suspect that's what maybe the next film is. <laughs> it's got to be something. Can you imagine? That would be so good. But yeah, so we're very lucky that Dimension didn't make a crappy Halloween film to keep on the rights. Yeah, yeah. So they revert back and we got this version. Mm. Because God knows what we would have got otherwise. I remember like hearing, I'm a huge Dynamo Bride um, fan, I think he's fantastic. And not just, he's really good when he shows up in stuff, or when he shows up in all the like uh, Apatel films and things like that. But like, like Foot Fist Way, which he sort of co-created, and then Eastbound and Down, which I think it stands up as one of like my favorite comedy shows. And I love David Gordon Green's films as well. Right. Pineapple Express is absolutely fantastic. When I heard that they were both doing this, it's, you, you go, Odd, isn't it? you go, what is happening here? But also at the same time, you go, 
I feel like they are smart enough people that they wouldn't do it unless they had an amazing idea. And then when you sit down and watch this, you just go, yeah, they had, it, it feels like a very complete film. Obviously wanted to do it for a very specific reason. Like yeah. before they came on board, I think Mike Flanagan was even rumored at one really? point. But he was like, it's too big, too big. Yeah. Oh, it's too big. You've got to do Shining though, won't you? Do a sequel to The Shining though, will um, you? Yeah. So I think, I guess there's, um, sometimes people say there are affinities between horror and comedy. Absolutely, yeah. it's about tension and timing, and timing and release yeah. and suspense, build up and payoff. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there's some connection there. Absolutely, yeah. Big, he's made two more of these and now he's attached to doing the Exorcist sequel. Yeah. Isn't that is fantastic? Like his new thing, which sequel to the original. That was something that I talked to John Krasinski about when we got to interview him for IGN was, you know, he when he, he'd gone away and he'd made this incredible horror film, which had just taken the world by storm. And, I, we, you know, it was something we talked about was like horror and comedy rely like so heavily on timing. Mm. And because he's such a, like an amazing comedy actor, like really, really good comedy writer, like did that sort of infuse it. But you do, you can definitely see it because... If if you're getting a good laugh out of something, or if you're getting a good scare out of something, there's parallels between how you get that out of people. Absolutely. And if you go see a screening of a horror film with a packed audience, one of the things you'll hear most often is laughter. Absolutely. Because it's a way of relieving tension. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they were, they were left field choices, but great choices. And I, what I think is quite cool through Jason Blum and David Gordon mm. Green is they tried to court Carpenter again. So he's not been yeah. directly involved since Halloween 3, I think. Yeah. And he's just been reluctant. I think he's been burned. I think he even freely admits he's actually not seen a lot of the other sequels. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a really good interview where he basically just went, you know what? I can keep moaning from the fucking sidelines. Yeah. Or yeah. I can get involved. So he came on board as a creative consultant for this and mm. also did all the score with his son. Yeah. What a great move to get him back on. Because I like that idea. It's like, I can keep slagging it off from back here or yeah. I can actually put my money where my mouth is. There's a really, I bought this off iTunes. I want to watch it in 4K. And um, there's a, you get some of the features and stuff with it. And there's features there where him and his son, you've got to watch it. Cause it's, it's like, it's like a four minute little feature. It's, it's pretty fluffy, but it's them in their house or in their little studio doing the score. And uh, his son, Carpenter's son has a, like a slight dig. And he says like, it's not a real Halloween film unless John Carpenter's there. And I was like, oh, yes, please. Imagine your dad's John Carpenter. Yeah. But Bloody also, hell. like I said to you earlier, but I was like, he, in that featurette, he looks like he's having the best fucking time ever. Well, largely given up movie making mm. for a long, long time. So it's kind of cool for him to be involved again because he's mainly been focused on writing music. I saw him live on Halloween several yeah. years ago. Where did I see him? Was it the Troxy? I think it was at the Troxy. Yeah, he played yeah. live, played the Halloween theme live. That's wild. Yeah, I remember in the foyer, they had the big Judith Myers tombstone. <laughs> do you have your photo? <laughs> I probably do, actually. I'll, I'll dig them out. Yeah, that was a good night. <laughs> so fantastic. I think it's cool that he's involved. He shepherded the project. But what a good film. I, I, so honestly, much to talk about in this episode. I just think it's been, it's been a while since we've actually had a film where, I, I, like, I generally think this is an exceptional film. And I do generally think it stands alongside the original. I just think it's so good and every and like there's so much that could go wrong and i feel we've just had two awful films like with a, a very famous person who's allowed to play in a world that we would you know that we is very dear to us and they made that mm. and then you look at the other people then who come into it you just go well because if you look at you know rob zombie who he looks like a horror film and then you look at like two comedians, you just go, oh yeah, probably zombie's gonna make the better one, isn't he? Is he fuck? <laughs> get, get the funny lads in. Get the funny lads in. What I think, again, I think this is why Force Awakens was interesting that came up mm. is 
this trying to threads that problem where it's really respectful of the original. Yeah. So it takes a lot of things in the way it approaches shooting Michael and its set pieces and its references. But it does introduce a lot of new stuff. Yeah. And that's why I'm excited for the next two films that eventually we'll cover. Yeah, yeah, Is yeah. what are they doing in those next two films? I have And no I feel idea. like, you know what? You've earned my respect with this one. Not that yeah. you need my respect, but you've done that with this film. I'm okay for them to get a bit freer because otherwise you can't just keep doing that. Yeah, I, I genuinely, because there's a lot of chat when they were making this that they were going to shoot what a two back-to-back. Yeah. But for whatever reasons, and, and I saw a really nice interview with Danny McBride where he was like, Let's just see how we do with the first one, see how that goes, and then we'll see from there. But I think, you know, in my head, even though I've not watched, I purposely didn't watch any trailers for this next one, right? For Halloween Kills. I've not watched any trailers. But in my head, I kind of know how that's going to go. I have no idea what's going to happen. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I don't know how Halloween ends. I mean, I've got ideas because it was like Jamie Lee Curtis, like, properly loses the plot and then she starts murdering people. Everyone starts murdering. It was like, Something's all, all the purge. Ha- all the purge happens, but I, I just don't know what it can be. No. And I'm so but excited to find that's out. That's yeah. what's really exciting because I think yeah. this film really sets us up nicely. So I think a bit of housekeeping: how does mm. it connect? If you don't know, it is a direct sequel to that first 1978 film. Yeah. So it junks everything else, including Halloween too. Yeah. For good tactical reasons. And, but, and like sort of even it really in your face Halloween too as well. Because there's a line where they say, wasn't it uh, his wasn't it, uh, brother and sister? And they go, no, that was just something people made up to make themselves feel better about themselves. Yeah, John Carpenter made <laughs> it up. John Carpenter made it up. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what, so I was, when I was writing this bit, I was like, so there are now five different timelines for Halloween. Mm. Isn't like fair play to filmmakers having to explain that to general Joe public going on a Saturday night to watch a film because how are you getting, how do you get that information out there? And how do you make sure that the people going in? I think for a lot of people, it's yeah. irrelevant. I think yeah, it's weird that this yeah. is called Halloween. Why did they do that? I think, I think I read an interview with McBride or David Gordon Green or Blum and they just didn't, because I think one that was mooted was Halloween Returns. Yeah. But then they were like, we don't want people who don't know the original to feel excluded and not yeah. come along. And they thought, let's just keep it simple, keep it Halloween. It is weird that it's going to be a quadrilogy and it's gone Halloween, Halloween, Halloween kills, Halloween ends. Yeah, I can't, I don't really Unless understand they, that. Maybe down the line, they add a suffix to this one in future. You know, when they do a box set, yeah, you know, almost yeah, like, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is kind of strange. They, from marketing, they just wanted Halloween. But this is the thing. So you watched it with uh, our business partner, Rory, who hadn't seen the original. He loved it. And he loved it. But that's, that. I kind of think, I mean, that's great that it does stand up. Because I guess all you need to know is something really bad happened. <laughs> we'll give you a little part of history yeah, of it. Because it's so and we'll simple. Get on with it, yeah. The idea is really simple. And yeah. I think the device of the two podcasters yeah. is a pretty good way of doing Basil Exposition yeah. in a fairly natural way. Because if you're recording a podcast, you wouldn't actually do that exposition. No. It's not that forced. feels novel having podcasting in a big Hollywood film, mm. but we've got to that point with podcasting that it should naturally appear in a film because yeah. it's so ubiquitous as some yeah. people enjoy. And not only is podcasting massive, but like particularly true, true crime, crime yeah. podcasts is huge. So I can kind of understand. But what I think is cool about this film as well is, I think Dave makes this point. Mm. If you take away all the other films, while undoubtedly horrific and traumatizing the events of that night on Laurie and the other people that were involved. Yeah. It didn't kill too many people. No. There's a lot worse stuff that's happening today. And like, 
I mean, what, a couple people getting killed by one guy with a knife is not that big of a deal. Dude, her grandmother was almost fucking murdered. And she escaped, and they caught him, and now he's incarcerated. I'm just saying, like, by today's standards. Just shut the fuck up, Dave. Shut up. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, shut up, Dave. Obviously, three or whatever, you know, he killed a good few people and a few of her friends. But he's not, you know, he wouldn't be considered one of the biggest serial killers in American history. No. He'd be considered a spree killer, maybe. Yeah. So... An event piece. Yeah, because it's not actually, I think kill that, it's maybe a crime that not a lot of people in America would know about. Mm. To which they I, don't which know I, he's pure evil, do they? Well, yeah, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? Because like, yeah, because it doesn't feel like, I think you're right though, because it doesn't feel like Because Dave goes, oh, it's hardly extravagant by today's standards. But also at the same time, she's not getting podcasters knocking on her door like every day. This feels like it's a quite a rare thing. And it's the first people that ever wanted to speak to her about it. So yeah, I think that's the thing. Even though to us, Halloween and the events of the babysitter murders or whatever, like that, that is a really huge part. And obviously for Laurie and stuff like that. But the rest of the world, it's not really. It kind of diminishes it a little bit. And yeah. obviously him coming back in this film is going to, um, I guess what happens in the next two films is maybe going to go, oh shit, there's something different about Michael Myers. Yeah. He is genuinely evil. But that's the thing. Do you know what's, what's really smart about diminishing it is it actually makes it all feel a lot smaller and actually a lot scarier. Absolutely. Um, because it's not like, oh, it was this. It's this, not part of a cult. Exactly. Yeah. None of that. It's just something really bad happened. And now he's escaped. And because none of the other events have happened, it's weirder that he's waited 40 years. Mm. It's odd that there's such an elapse of time now. Yeah. So it connects pretty, I guess we need a little bit of connection is Halloween 1 ends with Loomis shooting Michael six times. Yeah. Seven times if you watch Halloween 2. Yeah. And he's gone. Yeah. What this film kind of just implies is Michael was apprehended pretty quickly after that yeah so yeah. it kind of like undermines a little bit of the supernatural ambiguity of the first film but yeah. i guess they need to get michael back into custody yeah so early on in this film production they were going to retcon the end of halloween one what and what it was going to do so they were they were looking into like shooting this with body doubles no. doing rogue one de-aging of laurie no. strode so it would be back in that original bedroom when yeah. he does the sit-up yeah michael kills loomis right and laurie takes the gun and she's the one who shoots him off the balcony what and they went as far as constructing that set <gasps> and that set they measured it out the original room in the original house they were building yeah. it to the exact same specifications right and then they just ran out of money to do all the cgi and mm. it was not economically feasible that bedroom is then reused as Laurie's bedroom at the end of this film. Oh, that's so awesome. So David Gordon Green is like, I'm really good we didn't get to the other thing, although it sounds bad. Yes, yeah, it He's awful. like, I really like how Laurie's bedroom is a weird mirror of yeah. that room. And if you do look at it, the dimensions are identical when they do that yeah, balcony yeah. thing again. Well, maybe that's why then that all the featurette stuff, and when we were to IGM, we actually got Carpenter for some time in L.A., on a set where we got him to play the Halloween theme on a Nintendo Labo, mm. that the, there's a set of the house, yeah. which obviously isn't in the film. So it's like, did you build that for the featurettes? That is insane. But obviously they built it because it was going to be in the film. Maybe, yeah. And But one of Carpenter's contributions as creative consultant was like, don't fucking do that. No, please People don't. will hate it. Yeah. And I think that is true. Because if you're going to make a sequel to the original, don't tweet the original. Yeah, why? Because I think that would have gone down so badly. Well, because a friend of mine, Ollie, he said that basically they watched in the cinema Halloween, the original Halloween, and then they immediately went into Halloween what a 2. Bill. What an incredible way of doing it. But imagine if they'd done that, though. You would have just watched 
it wouldn't make any sense when you then rewatch uh, them. It would be oddly jarring. Yeah. It doesn't really make any sense. And I'm glad they didn't do And that. I think I like how they handle Loomis in this as well. That yeah. even though um, obviously Loomis isn't present in this film for obvious reasons, mm. he's still a presence. Yeah. When they're digging through all his research materials, the guy they've got doing an impression of him it's bonkers, is isn't it? so good. So we know we had that guy at the beginning of H2O. This, this doesn't sound like great, Loomis. Yeah. This guy's brilliant. Really good. My suggestion is termination. Death is the only solution for Michael. There's nothing to be gained from keeping evil alive. A shot of sodium thiopental would render him unconscious. I'll be with him to make sure his life is extinguished. My ear on his chest to hear for myself that his vitals no longer function and immediately incinerate the body. It needs to die. It needs to die. I really love when the tape mangles. Mm. It's like, you must die. So scary. That's a bit of Alan Partridge. Yeah. But... <laughs> So it's not your job to do it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. There's also a really good connection. I never picked this up before when we watched it in the cinema. I think I know what you're going to say. About Cameron. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? How have we never... <laughs> so Cameron Elan, he's Lonnie's son. It's amazing. When I the dinner table, when he said Lonnie, I was like, huh? what? It's only because we've just been doing yeah, it and we love that scene. We like that scene where he's like, hey, Lonnie, get your ass out of here. Yeah, and like, Tommy Lee Wallace going... Lani says this, Lani says this, that's his dad. Also, I can't believe we never picked that one up because you know how many times they mention Lani? I know, I know. It's, so I know. it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I know Lani, I went to high school with him. He used to sell me peyote. Lani? Yeah. Dad, all right, this is a massive overshare. I learned a lot about myself with his dad. Trim balls out in the woods, mean his dad. was What I really like about that is it makes you show this is a really small town. Yeah. And people don't leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People stay around Absolutely. generation after generation. Yeah. It's not a place that you leave. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing. It's like she knows the sheriff by name because the sheriff was connected in the film. Yeah, yeah. Because I think we worked it out even though you actually don't see him. He says, no, so yeah. he isn't there in the original, no. but it's like grafted on. He's meant to be the first responder. That's right, yeah. Because I think we were trying to work out how old he is. So in some scripts, apparently, there's like suggestions that maybe him and Laurie over the years had oh, really? a thing. Yeah, I could kind of see that. But then in other scripts, it's um, I think there's a cut line where he says, because you know she's at the gas station snooping around when stuff is happening. Yeah. I think it's like, oh, she calls the station twice a week. Yeah. See, that's, I think that's better, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's more fitting where Laurie is in yeah, this film. I think so. But I, I, I really like that guy as well. It's like, it's a really good performance by him. Will Patton is the guy from Armageddon. That's the whole I remember. Yeah, he's like. great. But he's fantastic Look, in this. Lots of really good supporting actors oh, in this film. Oh, out of control. Yeah, we'll get to it, like a lot of them later on. But like, yeah, Will Patton's fantastic in it, I thought. Wasn't it her brother who like cold-blooded murdered all those teenagers? No. That's just a bit that some people made up to make him feel better, I think. Let's rank this mask then. Okay. What's our, what's our current mask ranking? Five, four, H2O, Halloween 2, Rob Zombie 2, Resurrection, Zombie, 6, 1. Okay. I, I, this is the best tuck-in we have seen uh, oh, on a Michael Myers mask ever. Oh. I think it's better than the original in, in terms of his tuck-in. I think it's tucked so phenomenally well, but I think that's to do with the collar of his uh, overalls I'd as well. I'd say his drip is oh, on point, isn't it? So this? good, yeah. I, I mean, 
I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's I so love it. good. I absolutely love it. When he takes it out of that bag at the beginning, yeah, and it's all it's a little bit green, and it's mm. it's horrible seeing it just off and being squashed down. Yeah, yeah. And I like his rationale and um, his explanation of how he has it. Yeah, he says he has a friend at like the Ministry of Justice. Yeah, yeah. Department of Justice like just slipped it to him aside like evidence. That's bonkers, isn't it? That's awful. Because I mean, that is the thing actually about them the podcasters like how are they getting in that how, how, obviously this is the thing so much odd stuff happens in all of that scene right that you then have to explain away later on when you find out that dr sartain is actually just a bit round the band so, so you've got to, you've got to go why is he letting all this mad stuff happen because they don't seem like good podcasts they don't seem like good journalists i don't understand how they've been allowed to be in there do you not think that when you find out about Sartain, it makes it make more sense? Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, because he wants. Sorry, thing. yeah, yeah. So, but when you're watching them, yeah, yeah. So when you're watching it originally, when you're watching the thing, you're just like, because I think like that is one of the fun, my. I laugh my head off all the time, and I oh, wish yeah. I didn't. But it's a bit. Oh, we loved it. Everyone is going fucking ape shit when it's holding yeah. the mask, and she looks back at Sartain, and he just gives us like this reassuring look. Like, happens all the time. Don't worry about it. Absolutely fine. Don't I, worry. I, think, Carry I remember on. when we watched. Why him up? You just talk about like laughing in a horror film. Yeah, I was laughing my chops. Because yeah. when he's, we, we used to do it all the time in the office, he's going, Why is he shouting to Michael? Yeah. And you say, Michael. And then when the, it's such a good cue oh, when it goes Halloween and the music kicks in, I'm like, So cool. Say something, Michael. It's so cool. But yeah, like obviously you have to explain away Dark Sartain. But when he's holding it, that is such a bright shot. And having that mask right in the middle of it just looks fantastic. Like it's so bright. It's so overexposed. Mm, I and love it. Thing's fantastic. What's really interesting about watching this time, loads of him with the mask off. Yeah. Isn't it weird? Way more than, more I, than remember. I remembered. Yeah. Maybe because he's watching it on a smaller screen, you're kind of taking more of it in. Yeah. There are so many shots where you basically see Michael Myers' face. Yeah. But I'm kind of completely okay with it. Whereas in previous yeah, it's films, fine, yeah. it's bothered me. I think it's more because of the way it's shot is is shot in such a good way. And the way you, it's used, yeah. Yeah, it's the way it's used. And I really like when he gets the mask back. Mm. It feels like a superhero moment. It really does, yeah. <laughs> you know, like when he gets the outfit for the first yeah. time. Like, Fuck, go on, Michael. Because I remember when I first saw it, I actually thought... Oh, he puts it on without, with, with not as much ceremony as I'd like. But actually, I feel like if it was too much, because he's just basically there getting it a, from the boot. There is a moment of reverence. Yeah, there's definitely kind of cradles is, yeah. it and looks at it. So what is going through his head? I guess like the, th the thing that I was thinking is like, it's just like in the, he's in the forecourt of a garage, yeah. he's getting out of a boot, there's loads of stuff going on around him. But actually, if it's if there's too much ceremony, I think it would be silly. Odd, yeah. Whereas actually, he's just, just perfect amount, I think. Yeah. But I, yeah, when he puts it on, you think it's great. But I honestly, I can't... Because the thing that we always said about the original that we absolutely love is that mo a lot of the time you're like, is that someone's face? I'm not sure. Whereas this, you're just like, that just looks like someone's face. Mm. It just looks like someone's face. It's just got like, lovely loads of detailing on it. It's weathered so much that I think it just looks like someone's face. It's fantastic. There's a really nice feature out as well on the iTunes stuff, which talks about like how they, they looked into how that original mm. mask would actually perish. And I thought that that is, that is such a cool thing. And then the most amazing little Easter egg. One of the officers from one of the standout scenes, the Banley sandwich, 
is Christopher Allen Nelson, the guy who designed the mask. Officer How amazing Francis, is that? Who, who makes a child's lunch so for himself. Funny. What does he say? Like, you want to see what I brought? Yeah, I do want to see what you brought. Ready? Look at this. That. Oh. Fresh brownie. Okay. Chocolatey homemade brownie. I made that myself. That's that's like what a five year old would eat if they could make their own lunch. You know, there's an extended bit of that as well in the deleted scenes, which is, I mean, it's just like an extra like forty seconds of them just riffing, but it is really really. Do you good. think that's a homage to the cops from Five? That's what lots of people say. It's a funny. It's a really funny scene. Yeah, uh, quite a tense moment of the film. It's just that, and then you see them, and then they're dead. Yeah, it's so, like it's fantastic. We talked a little bit as well because I was like, if they were sort of having their cake and eat it, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green, that could have been any number of cameos from the Judd Apatow, Seth Rogen, Foot Fist Way, kind of like eastbound yeah. and down world. Because that's half a day on set. Exactly. But it is quite good that it is not, because it's well, just such it. a it's random the guy people. who made yeah. the mask. I know, it's fantastic. Who's a really celebrated yeah. effects artist. And just an incredible comedy actor, apparently. Um, yeah. But you were saying like the other guys, like... The other guys barely... His IMDb is nothing else, really. That's why it must be, that must be like a mate. Mate, yeah. But also, he is hilarious. He's genuinely funny. I it's, couldn't believe he didn't have a really extensive IMDb. I thought he'd be yeah. in loads of American sitcoms or something. Yeah, strange, isn't it? But yeah, he uh, he he designed the mask. It's absolutely fantastic. But I just think like the way that the hair in some bits has thinned so much. Well, it's, like that just, like, it's like it's aged, yeah. It's so good. Did you watch the deleted scene with the dog? So there's a deleted scene with a dog oh. um, where uh, Michael's killed a dog in the neighborhood and you get a full body, full on shot of Michael without the mask. Is he in his hospital gown? He's in his hospital gown still, yeah. You know that um, dog, you know where that dog's meant to be? That's yeah. meant to be 45 Lampkin Lane and they torn it down and made it into a community garden. So oh. a little bit like, so they never explicitly say it in the film, no. which I really like because it means we might get that Myers house yeah, in yeah, the next that, two films. Point, actually, so they yeah. haven't locked themselves into a corner. No. But it did remind me a little bit about what they did to Fred and Rose's house. Yeah. They turned, like, you wouldn't let that place stand, would no, you? No, of course. You would tear it's, it's it down evil, yeah. and they turn it into a community garden. And then he's done that. That's yeah. fantastic. Because... I guess the theory is he's gone back home. He got, oh, I've torn my house down. It's my house. Right. You imagine him just like, his dog. Well, he's just looking at his phone being like, I'm fucking sure it was you. Like, you feel they actually did move his real house. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just like walking around going, am I going to knock on the door? Like, no, I'm not going to. I'll just kill a dog instead. Um, but yeah, I think the mask just looks fantastic. I think the thing for me is it just looks like someone's face. To your point about it, the hair thinning and mm. aging, the same with all the wrinkles and the yeah. scratches. They almost play like aged skin. Yeah, absolutely. And it also, it feels like there's a lot of thought that's gone into how is this going to look rather than in the Rob Zombie ones, like, well, he's got a big scar. Where the fuck is, why has he got a scar across yeah. his face? It doesn't make any sense. And I think also importantly, it just looks like the original. Yeah. Like the underlying structure of it. With a lot of the mass that we've discussed in this section, yeah, you've gone and gone, so has he got another one? Mm. But he hasn't. That's meant to be the same one, but now it looks totally different. Yeah. Whereas this is just that original one. They took him off it that night. Yeah. They didn't let him wear it in prison. Thank God. And we've just got it back. Yeah. Which is a really cool idea. It is the, it is the one from 1978. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, for me, this is a really hard ranking because... I know where this goes. I think it, like, it goes alongside, like, for me. Like, I mean, just below. I think, I guess it's got to go just below because of the very nature of if it wasn't for the other one, this one wouldn't exist. But I just think like, I love the original so I know much. I mean, they're almost like on a par. But it's, yeah, but it's, it's brand new. Whereas this, this looks more like a human face than the original, I think. It's absolutely terrifying. 
the eye holes in particular, particularly in the scene where he's trapped and he's looking up, the eye holes have never looked that good. I think, yeah, it's obviously got to go tiny bit underneath, but it's 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 neck and neck. Christopher Allen Nelson, take a bow. I know. Is it, we, should we just put it slightly below? Slightly below, yeah. 1.5. 1.5. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, it's uh, 1.5. Happy Halloween, Michael. Right, let's do performance then. This is incredible. Because you know what? What's really good about it is he moves like someone who is deranged. He looks like he moves like someone who is not all there. Like, and he moves with like a sort of strange unsuredness that he doesn't know what's going to come next, but also complete confidence. And I think like that is absolutely terrifying because it's, it's sort of like if you see someone, if you if you see like a homeless person or something who's maybe like not all Keep their dogs own. are barking, yeah. you look at the way that they're moving and stuff like that. It's like, erratic. You, it's erratic, yeah. But also at the same time, he moves erratically with an incredible confidence. The greatest scene for this is, I always refer to it as a one shot. It's not a one shot. No. If it plays like that is when he turns up on Halloween night, oh he's got the me. costume, he's yeah. got the overalls, the mask, and he walks to the garage, gets the hammer, he gets the kitchen knife, goes past yeah. the baby, and it's all kind of plays like a one shot. The way he moves, it's just fantastic. Yeah. Because also we're shooting Michael where we're with Michael again. Yeah, yeah, we're not, yeah. He's not ghost face. Which is he's a not huge thing for us, yeah. He, 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 Michael Myers doesn't give a shit. He's walking through that house and he's killing her with a hammer. Yeah. You know, he's not hiding out her window. Mm. He's literally, what Michael Myers does, he like looks in through the window and goes, yeah, I'll kill her in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, I'll go find something to do it. Well, that's And again, thing. it's almost a bit like, um, you know, the superhero getting the costume. He goes, when he gets the kitchen knife, he's like, yeah. here we go. Yeah. Do you know what's even better about that? Is though, I think for the very first time, we're actually seeing him reacting in real time because the other ones, this is a performance. This is a man who is... He knows where he needs to get from A to B. Here, it's like he's figuring out how to get from A to B and we're figuring out with mm. him in real time. I don't think we've ever had that before. It's, it, it's, it's exceptional, I think. And then, yeah, the walking through Dina's house thing. It, again, I'm pretty sure we were laughing as well because he picks up, he's like, oh, I've got this hammer then. Oh, I've got a knife. That's why I want yeah, it, actually. Oh, yeah. oh, I love knife. Yeah. Also, that kill on Gina as well. Like, you think he's just going to go up and do like a little like slow cut. Nah, straight fucking through, mate. Unbelievable. Do you don't expect the CGI? <laughs> no. Because that wasn't around in the original. You no. go, oh, it looks really good. Um, it looks so good. So this is all the shape is James Jude Courtney. Mm. But they do get Nick Castle back for one shot, which yeah. I think is the shot when she sees him in the mirror upstairs. Right. And he okay. does like a head tilt. Yeah. And he yeah. sees Laurie for the first time. I think that's the shot they got Nick Castle back for. Oh, so he's not the old, he's not I think old that's James man Jude Michael. Courtney. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. But he doesn't seem that old, does he? No. I think that might come back in another section, but I mean, there's nothing about it that you suggest he's an old man. No. The thing that's amazing is like James Duke Courtney, he's not a small guy, he's six foot three, right? Whereas Tyler Maine was, what did he say, six foot eight? Seven or eight. Six yeah, six, seven massive, or eight. Massive. So the thing about that is he, Michael, for me, he feels big, but and not in a bonkers way. And no, I know no, it's only, it's only in a couple of feet, in a couple of inches, yeah. sorry. But like, he feels that's, that is a big person that you would see normally. Yeah. I think we've covered this with Tyler Maine. Mm. If you built that big, yeah. it's not surprising to me when he does very strong things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas if he's slight and he's 61, and when he does certain things in this movie, yeah. that's where I think the supernatural element comes in. You go, yeah. a man shouldn't be capable of doing that. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Of his build. I just, I think like everything about it is like erratic, 
but measured and I think the confidence that you get, but obviously like a slow pace as well. Like th this is a good thing that I think we've got back for one of the best since the original. When he's looking around Laurie's house, he is walking really, really slow. Whenever he's chasing someone, whenever he's going after someone, he walks really, really he's slow. He's not chasing after anyone. And he's measured about it. And I think mm -hmm. like every movement that he makes is, is feels like there's a thought yeah. process behind it. He's not going wildly because that's not what he would do. Confidence. You only get with pure evil. Man. Confidence. Well, it's that scene when he turns up on the trick-or-treating on Halloween night. Oh, it's like when he turns God. up outside the school. I'm Michael Myers. I am not hiding. No. I'm going to walk around this neighborhood. I'm going to kill some people. Yeah. And you know what? You can even see me do it. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Because <laughs> that, that's, he's not hiding from anyone. No. He don't give a shit. Let's talk about stupidest decision now. One, stop moving him in October, lads. Stop doing that. And I know they've never moved him before, right? Yeah. Don't do it. 40 years to the night, right? Move him next week. Move him a week after. But I guess that is explained. Because he's Sartain initiating that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But still, like, this is the but thing. I, about, I, yeah, I still yeah. agree. Other people have to approve it happening. Yeah, yeah. You know what's funny about Sartain when you watch those opening scenes again? Yeah. He is hiding in plain sight. His dialogue when he talks about Michael, it's like, obviously this guy's got a yeah, hard on for him. But when odd. you first watch it, you don't really pay much heed because we're used to the kind of the eccentric doctor character. Yeah, absolutely. But when you watch it back yeah. again, he's he obviously obsessed with him. Yeah. Well, I guess like that's the, the way that it can go. You either get obsessed with him to the fact that you're just like, right, he must be destroyed. Or you get obsessed with him and be like, no, I must become him. <laughs> yeah, I, must, I want to watch him in his natural habitat. <laughs> Speak to me, Michael. Michael has been my life's obsession. I've examined every single case file written on him. I was a student of Dr. Loomis before he passed away. And then I lobbied the University of Illinois to be assigned to Michael myself. Any progress? Well, he's been seen by over 50 clinical psychiatrists and with each many different opinions. Dr. Loomis was the only one to see him in the wild. And he concluded he was nothing more than pure evil. He has one of the lines, which I think is one of the funniest lines ever. You sit still. Well, I was sitting still anyway. What do you mean? It's so His it's, delivery is so good. It's so funny, man. I really like Sartain. I know, he's, I know we're talking about stupid decision. Mm. Some people think putting Sartain in this movie is a stupid decision. It's the one thing what? some people don't like. I think it's great. What? I think it's like a good, interesting, different thing. You're kind of doing a Loomis, but there's a twist to it. Yeah. I think, I think it's fantastic. It's, I think it's really interesting. Some of his dialogue is weird. I, I like it. I like it because it's, you can't have another Loomis character, but I really like as an example of this is what Michael does Obsession. to people. Like this is what it can do to people. It can either get to the point, you either go one road with it or you've gone the other road with it. And I think... I think, I, I can't believe people don't like that. Yeah, I think some people just find it kind of strange. I think people right. don't like when he puts his mask on. That's a bit odd, but... I like how it's odd. He's an odd dude. He's, yeah, exactly. I think they've set it's up for ages nice pen. how weird he is. Oh, that's if I, that's the only fair, thing that makes him feel like he's in a cult. That's the only thing that I would take. I would take out that knife pen, I think. But he needs... No. Just stab him, with a, stab him with a pen. Yeah. But yeah, that's the only thing that I think I would, I would take out. If I was a podcaster and I'd like to, you know, I, if someone would ask me, are you a podcaster? I guess I would go, yeah, I suppose I am. I probably wouldn't be recording my voiceover in a car. That's not a good listening experience for your uh, yeah, get your notes down. community, is it? So when, he, when he's waxing lyrical by the gr a grave of Judith Myers, mm. you go, it's a bit intense, isn't it? Yeah. That, that thing is, I don't mind that because you're recording On like, location, in the field. Yeah. He's driving the car. 
Like he's, he's, actually, he's actually driving while he's doing it, and you're just you like, shouldn't podcast and drive. No, but also that podcast sounds shite because like you know even when they we're recording Laurie, she's got a massive living room, right? Yeah. Huge C lens, and they put the one recorder in the middle, yeah, it's not recording using the top mic. They don't even put like a clip mic on or anything like that. He hasn't got a clip mic on. The other girl hasn't got a clip mic on, and she hasn't got a clip mic on. That's gonna sound like shit. And what's that costing them? Three grand or something? Yeah. If it costs three grand, just like, I know how cheap clip mics are. We've bought them. Do that. Well, make sure you get the adapters though. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But it's like, I can't, I can't, I can't get my head around it. Every time I watch it. That is stupid. Does my it? head Maybe in. they're not big production people. They're more like, oh, we're the ideas people. Come on. To be fair, I She's listen. meant to be his producer, isn't she? I listened to a podcast. Yeah, exactly. I listened to a podcast recently where I was like, oh, this, this is such a good idea. I want to listen to it. And it sounded like shit. I was like, I don't care then. I'm no, it's right. a quite a big obstacle to get over really. For some people, honestly, though, I listen to like other podcasts that are like the top podcasts on iTunes, and they sound like shit. So I think some people, I think people don't, don't really know production value. That's unbelievable, that is, isn't it? Can't believe that. <laughs> you deserve better. No, that, yeah, that's a stupid decision for me. Um, you got any more? Uh, I've got the big obvious one. Well, maybe not this. This is this is not one of these one. What's he doing kissing that tiger girl? Oh no! How's he? How's he think that's gonna go down? You're like you're in public. That's one of the stupidest things yeah. I've ever seen. And also, up until that point, Cameron seemed all right. Yeah, it's a real surprise because you think he's an okay dude, and mm. also the way that the movie pans out, he doesn't get a comeuppance. So it's kind of a weird yeah. deviation of the slasher thing where you go, "Oh, he's getting killed by Michael at some point." No, nah, he's fine. It's it's bonkers. Good. Have you seen the? Do you, have you seen the deleted scene? Yeah, where he gets picked up by the cops. Yeah. So the deleted scene, which. Actually, uh, is there's a lot of deleted scenes on it that I go, I'm really glad not in it. Like the podcaster, Aaron the podcaster, putting the Michael Myers mask on to scare the girl in the shower, which I'm so glad is not in the film because yeah. I think that is yeah, yeah. infinitely cheap. Yeah. But what happens with him is he comes out and he's really apologetic and there's like a nice funny scene where he's like, you just need to put in some rice. I took it out of the nacho cheese. I'll buy you a new uh, phone. I'll buy you a new phone. And he apologizes and he says, I'm really sorry. I just got really drunk, blah, 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 blah. And then the police come down and he's being really drunk and belligerent. And then the fact that he's Lonnie's son comes back again to haunt him. And he's just like, it's because his, his dad was obviously a Mad prick. Is. So they take him into custody. And then that's how she ends up then. Yeah, because Ray uh, talks about like doing drugs with his dad. Yeah, doing peyote with his dad. But I, I actually think that scene should be back in. You know, I thought about this quite a lot since we first watched this film. Mm. I think that whole Cameron stuff yeah. purely exists just to knock her phone out of play. Yeah, it does, yeah. Because it's that modern slasher thing. If she has a mobile phone, yeah. she's calling the police, she's calling her mum. Yeah. And a big part of this final third of this film is not being able to track her down. That's right, yeah. And I think that's the problem with a lot of modern horror films is mobile phones create a lot of problems. Yeah. And it's the same with like mystery films or thrillers. It's like mm. a lot of classic plots, a mobile phone renders useless. Yeah. But I think my big problem with not having that deleted scene in is... Cameron's a proper villain then that, as you say, doesn't get come up. And so it's, it feels really empty and you're like, oh, okay. Because he brings the phone back. He's like, I'm so next sorry. Film, I will, film. I will fix this for you. Yeah. Hopefully in the next film he gets. Well, the thing is though, I do, I did feel like he's obviously acted really shittily, but I did kind of feel sorry for him. Not just because the tiger girl is out of this world, but, <laughs> um, but I do like, like, and you know, Laurie's granddaughter is also fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Cameron. She's on the honor roll. Is, is a beautiful honor man. Honor society. But that, yeah, the tiger girl is out of control, but <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm not excusing that behavior, but I don't think he's the villain that he really is. Don't, when you don't have that scene in it, he's a proper villain now. 
Isn't that mad? His, uh, his entire trajectory has just been changed because he gets treated like shit by the police it's as really well. put a phone in natural dip. Yes, it's quite <laughs> it's funny. It's a funny image. Also, I wouldn't have thought that that would wreck it. iPhones are waterproof now. Yeah. So I think it could sustain some nacho cheese. Maybe not in 2018. Maybe yeah. not in 2018. Yeah, that, that's what I've got. What have, what have you got? Don't go see Michael Myers after 40 years. Yeah. Bring him back his mask. Hold it up and just torment him. <laughs> yeah. Like goading Michael Myers. is going, Michael, say something. Yeah. It's like, you want me to say something? I'll fucking say something. Shouldn't be allowed. Although, as much as I was slagging off our podcast, I'd like to hear Film that. it. Like, that would be great. That bit was. Imagine that on YouTube. Mm. I go and see Michael Myers and bring him back his <laughs> <Yeah>. mask. <laughs> that's like, he's I eat stickers in an alley. <laughs> but I just love that so much, that opening scene when he's holding it. He's like, Michael. Because it's yeah. in the trailer. We were like, that's not a good idea, is it? Absolutely not. It's ob- that's obviously going to go badly for you, mate. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's obviously the stupidest decision. I'm not it? saying that sparked it all off, but not helping, is it? Well, Well, that's a good question, though. Would he have gone the way that he did in this film had he not been wound up by a podcaster? Yeah, would he have done all the killing? Would he have got another mask? Good question. You know, because it's never, it's implied by the film, but producers have later confirmed it. Sartain orchestrates the bush crash. Right. So they have confirmed that. It's not confirmed within the film. No, it is. Could be yeah, in the it's next quite, one, maybe. It's actually quite it's a bit confusing, ambiguous. Yeah. But it makes sense. So you're just like... Because well, he wants he, to see him in his natural habitat. He's on a fucking bus. Yeah. yeah. And so he gets out. I guess we should talk about this in motivations, but... That's probably a stupid decision, being on the bus sighting yourself. Mm. If you want to observe Michael in his natural habitat, I know you need to be on board to make it happen, but very easily you could have got killed. Yeah, that's true, actually. That's the thing. Obsession has made him thick. So (laughs) that's a young man's game. It can happen, mate. (laughs) Yeah, let's give a stupid decision to that then. Let's give a stupid decision to taking Michael's mask there and winding him up. Yeah, I think so. You feel it, don't you, Michael? You feel the mask. Say something, Michael. Say something. All right, scariest moment. I have two. But one of them, to be fair, is... probably got the same one for one, I reckon. One of, one of them is say something. Because I, I think the way that that, the noise of that and the screaming, and they have all these incredibly cast, odd-looking people shouting. It's so really unsettling. And, and it's a re- and like the dogs are fucking kicking off. Sartain is absolutely unfazed by it. He's licking his lips. Like, this is he's beautiful. Like, this is exactly what I You know who's in EastEnders in the 80s? Was he? <laughs> what? He's a really famous Turkish movie actor. Apparently he was in EastEnders. I've not tracked down any clips. We should watch them afterwards. Absolutely. If there's a good one, we'll drop it in. Calm down. What's the matter? Nothing. He's just been sleeping with that dirty girl, Donna. That's no, a... no. Come on, calm down. She came into the gavel last night and boasted about it. Well, come on. So you know what a liar she is? No, no, no. It was all true. There was times, there was dates, there were places, and they all fitted. Well, I was, I was sort of annoyed because the two British podcasters, one of them is called Rianne Reese. How is she, and she's not Welsh. And from, from what I can gather, she has no Welsh lineage. She just has just two Welsh names. Yeah, it's bonkers. Not Welsh, apparently. That's a shame. I know it's a massive shame because that would have been fantastic. Maybe the second person that's Welsh to be murdered by Michael. Who's the first one? And um, the necrophile last week. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot about him. I Good blocked old. all that from my thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had to edit it. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, that that is my my other one is him just staring at them in the basement when he's being. Oh, that is generally. I we think it's the same one. It's really scary. I think when he's trapped. When he's trapped, he's not doing anything. He's not. This is again like going back to the amazing um, performance. He's not frenzied. He's not. Yeah. He's, he knows he's been beaten. Yeah. I guess uh, or. Depending on how, depending how we go through. Evil, you're like, later I'm on. not phased. Yeah, you maybe that's a thing later on. If he is not pure evil, he knows he hasn't been beaten, but he's just waiting there and he, like he doesn't look like he's angry. He's not doing that. He's, he's just, just staring, dead. staring. Doesn't blink. Unfazed. I think it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, because even like a trapped. That's where he doesn't have those processes because yeah. a trapped animal will panic. Absolutely, yeah. He doesn't he have just that at all. There. It's, he lets himself. Yeah, I think it's terrifying. Yeah, that's that's my scariest moment. Mine is the floodlights, the oh, motion so sensor light. Good, yeah. I fucking love that sequence yeah. so much because Allison's just left. Mm. He sat there on the floor, Oscar. Yeah, and you can see Michael just behind him in the corner. Yeah, and he thinks it's the guy. He knows the guy. It's the Elrod. Yeah, it's Elrod, which is the name of exactly. Halloween too. Happy Halloween, Mister Elrod. I'm. I'm just, I don't know, man. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to trespass on your yard and shit, man. I was just trying to take a shortcut with a really pretty girl. And I just, I just really like her, man. And I, I thought that she liked me too. And I just, you just, have you ever really liked a girl and you just couldn't have her? And then the light goes out and he just gets closer and closer. Yeah. I think that's such a good sequence. It's so good. Because also, it's not too silly. No. I, I think one of the, the absolute one of the best things about this film is everybody talks like a human, which we've said in so many, particularly Rob Zombie ones, like has Rob Zombie ever heard two humans have a conversation? This is written by people who know how to write dialogue and they know how to write normal people talking. That is exactly how you would be. And I feel like that, I don't, you don't get to spend hardly any time with that character, but you're right, this is exactly how Oscar would talk. Cause he's just, obviously he's made a really misjudged bad pass. Yes. Alison. And the way that Michael's just the stillness of it mm. and the fact that you never see Michael move. And we yeah, talked about yeah. this in the bad sequels where you see Michael do too much. Yeah. What this does is you're taking out the stuff where Michael's trying to get closer to him. Yeah. And before you know it, he's just in his face. It is terrifying. Yeah. Oh, so it's good. really good. It's just like, but also a really lovely suburban scene as well, which makes everything scarier then. I just like shots of Michael standing there still in the background. Yeah. But also just like the silliness of it as well. It's like him talking to her about the girl and I stuff. Know. And what was the line that he says? Have you ever wanted a girl so much, but you couldn't have her? And you're like, come on. Yes, that yes is, he has. That is fantastic. I'm happy to give it to him at the end. I think it's, I, it's, it's, it's a disturbing moment. I think is genuinely terrifying as much as I love the other one. The really good thing about the other scene is um, like David Gordon Green said, he's had a fear of being impaled all his life. And he was like, I finally got to put it on screen, which is really good. So I always think of that partridge bit where he puts his foot on the spike. <laughs> oh yeah, that's really That's kind of what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Alison. <laughs> I've put my chin on a spike. Alan, what are you doing? Climbing off a fence. Oh, you should watch yourself. You're nearly 50. Were you going to say I was nearly 50 then? Might be nearly 50 then, but at least I can make Little pierced my foot on a spike. <laughs> Actually, can we just put this in this moment? Yeah. Because that is after that scene. The best musical cue oh my in this film, God. best musical cue in many films, yeah. is The Shape Hunts Allison, which happens just after Oscar dies. That guitar sting. Oh my God. I remember getting goosebumps when we heard that yeah. in the cinema, and it's still one of my favorite bits of Halloween music. Because it, uh, it was around, well, and still going on now, but like 
a weird droning sound is became like really popular in trailers and films and things like that. This is that, but I just think it's fantastic. I, like I can't believe it's not longer. It just feels like that that. that I don't even know what to call it, that growl. Yeah. It's like something suddenly looming above you. Yeah. Just out of nowhere, which yeah. is Michael Myers to me. Um, oh, it's unbelievable. Like, it's so good. Well done, lads. All right, and how many killings? We've got 19 kills, nine off screen, all Michael except one. Except for the one that Sartain gets. Sartain. With his mad little pen knife. That means Sartain. <laughs> Michael. Good kills in this, mate. Really, really good kills. Uh, even the ones that we don't get to see, like when you get to see the cool little tableaus after, I think it's fantastic. So um, what's interesting about this is, even though the first Halloween is fairly bloodless, mm. And we've talked about how Carpenter 2 is like, we've got to up the ante because these other series have come along and been quite yeah. liberal with the use of blood and gore. Yeah. This has quite a bit of blood and gore in it. Yeah, Some yeah. of these are quite violent. Yeah. Even the really. ones that you see. They're, yeah, they're, they're, it's pretty rough, man. Um, it was really interesting. I was watching the feature with Danny McBride. This is the cool thing as well. Danny McBride is featured really heavily in quite a lot of the features. He's obviously like, he's on set every single day. He was in really heavily involved. It wasn't it wasn't just like, he wrote a little bit of the script with yeah, Dave yeah. Gordon Green and then went away. He's heavily involved in it. But he was saying like, he's written a lot of scripts. He's like, he, he n like number checks how many episodes of a TV shows uh, that he's written. And he says, but I've only, I've never really got to write people being killed. And when I have, they deserved it. Whereas like here, I had to write loads of people being killed that didn't deserve yeah, it. Yeah, quite a lot. Um, and he's like, it's a lot of fun, but he's also, it's like, you want to make sure that something good happens and there's a reason for them yeah, to be yeah. killed, you know? And I do think in this, there's a reason for everybody to be killed, which is really good. But yeah, there's some, uh, there's some really, really nasty ones, I think. There's some like good echoes of what like, Dave being impaled to the wall that yeah. you see after the fight. Obviously, little echoes of Bob there. Yeah, yeah. What's your standout? So I got a couple. I think like... It's not my favorite, but is it the best? Yeah. Sartain getting his head crushed by a boot is bonkers. It, it's <laughs> genuinely shocking when that happened. It's and really shocking. That's where you go, oh, I wouldn't be in the original Halloween. But then no. I'm like, you know what? They've absolutely gone for it. You know, in the script, yeah. that's described as um, like head stomped in brain shit out <laughs> i think it is fantastic i think that's really really good when we were watching last night clara was just like oh come on it's a lot <laughs> well then he's lot. just like begging on the floor you know there's this great line that i don't know if they filmed it i think mm. it was just in the script but he says to michael he goes but you said i could watch <gasps> so there's this intimation that while they've been in the hospital michael has somehow conveyed that if you let me i'll, I'll kill again oh. i'm glad they didn't put it in I yeah, think it's like an interesting little idea. Yeah, because it doesn't make any sense, does it? Because his big thing is like, I want to hear him speak. Um, yeah, but maybe so. he, he communicated non-verbally. <laughs> stabby, stabby. <laughs> stabby, stabby. Like, or it's just part of his delusion that he's interpreting yeah. Michael goes, you're like, I'm your acolyte. Mm. Yeah, that's true, actually. I think that is really, really good. I, it's really hard. Because like Oscar is, is a really, really good scene. We've, we've talked quite a lot about that one. I've got what, what my my favorite one that we don't see right is the police in the car mm. because what he does with that head he basically makes a head into a jack o' lantern just that quick doesn't he it looks incredible I think that's really really good I really like. 
the, another one we, that we don't see, but I, we see the aftermath of is the guy in the garage because he's been contorted. It's like he's watched the fucking ring video. Well, the teller, it's yeah. like his jaw's been ripped it's open. Like it's all like yeah. all his arms and that. It's like he really got to town on him. I think it's fantastic. We talked about the Gina Pancella kill, which is the <laughs> knife straight fucking through, which is exceptional. But I think my favorite, my favorite one, it's two because it's when the podcasters get murdered. Because oh, yeah, yeah. Only, only, but not just because I feel like they've done a disservice to the podcasting industry with how they've decided to record interviews and voiceover. Mm. You know, it's good to see two genuine villains of podcasting get their comeuppance. But I just think it goes on for so it's long. Genuinely, very brutal. It's absolutely brutal. There's a lot of strangeness to it, to the fact where. Michael has brought those teeth in to scare her, yeah. and like the like the my, my, the I think that's disgusting anyway. But the really nice thing is that it's it's only really really quick. But if you look, you can see it. You can see that his hand is full of blood as yeah. well. So when he's dropping the teeth, there's like a, a wide shot, and you see blood dripping from his hand. You're like, this is well, he's so brutal. He's tormenting with them. Yeah, he's having and fun with them. That's what I mean. And it goes on for so so long, and it's re it's actually really really hard to it's watch. It's brutal, but not in the same way that Halloween Two is brutal. No, because I think there's a still an air of this is a horror film. Yeah, and it's the tone is just slightly different. Yeah, where. It's more bearable to watch, I, I think, anyway. But with the guy, he, like, Corey's, like, he genuinely, like, he just beats him to death. Yeah. He doesn't stab him. He doesn't cave in in his head. He doesn't snap his neck. Yeah. He just goes for him. Yeah, yeah. It's a real, also, demonstration that he's meant to be 61. Yeah. Corey's, like, a younger dude. Seems in decent nick. Mm. Can't even knock Michael down. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rough. And also, because she's just hearing it as well and mm. just losing her mind. And I think her screams are particularly good, I think. I think she does really, Could really well. Could be good Welsh screams, hopefully. Fingers crossed, mate. Fingers crossed, you know? Um, yeah, that, that's my favorite one, like, for sure. What's yours? It was either Sartain's spectacular head stomp, or I would say, can we get Oscar in, maybe? Yeah, We didn't, yeah, we didn't yeah, give it yeah. to the scariest moment. I, I feel like sequence deserves a little, like nod for something i yeah I, I it's definitely stand out i'm 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 up for that i had it on i had it on my short list so um, can we give it oscar let's give it oscar. let's give it oscar because i think it's it's just a really really fun sequence hey uh where'd you go man you're acting dude you're acting like really sketchy right now i don't All right, let's talk about survivors. And before we get to like, Laurie and the good one, obviously, obviously, the standout scene sealer of the entire film. The MVP. Lil Julian. He's great. And his he? nasty ass toenails. <laughs> <laughs> he is incredible. I remember like the, when I watched it at the bigger screening, mm. people were just losing their minds for him. How is he so good? I don't know. How is he such a good actor? I hope he comes back. Yeah, he's how I just can't get over how funny he is and his timing and his the way that he he's talks. So charismatic. He's so young. How did that happen? How did you get to be so good? Also, it's just the very sweet scene when she Vicky does actually put him to bed. And yeah, she goes, "Oh, you are my favorite." He looks so sweet, but also, what's quite a difficult thing to do is when Michael does turn up. Yeah, to have him react in a realistic but funny way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think it's kind of brave that they do the thing where he goes, Dave, you're going to get killed. Yeah. Because that is a joke. Yeah. But it does kind of work. Shut up, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. 
even Dave is a bit of an idiot. Mm. But he does go and try and save his girlfriend. Yeah, you know, I don't fair, mind play to, fair play to Dave. Other, yeah, other than the, the motorbike thing, I just, yeah. just couldn't be asked with that. I think she thought it was really odd. It's, it's really, a bit weird, like, isn't it? If you're going to take something else, take it out. I don't need to know what Dave is up to. It's odd, isn't it? Yeah. Really strange. Um, I don't know if you meant to think, I guess you meant to think maybe Michael's going to get him in that scene and he's not yeah, inside. So true. it's almost a misdirection, but I can't even remember the first time I watched it. Maybe I thought he was in danger. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. Because basically high. Yeah. I'm messing about with something that doesn't belong to him. So basically yeah. being a bit naughty. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Breaking some rules there. Yeah, Julian out of control. I hope he comes back for the other films, man. Oh, but maybe he's getting older now. How? So it's like, this is 2018. What's coming out? It's coming out he's three years uh, older. He's going to start having a little growth spurt. Halloween ends is just him it's 10 just years him. later. Well, this is the thing. We This is the only bit of babysitting that we see. So we know that it's got. there's got to be some kind of uh, significance to the, to this. He has, you know, been through a similar thing to, you know, what Laurie went through in the very first one. So I think, I think he's more significant he's than more we like think. He's more like Tommy Wallace, isn't he? Genuinely. He's I th Tommy Wallace. I, th I think he's more significant than we think. Yeah. Genuinely. And well, I'm hoping that he is anyway. Do you think he's doing the ritual of Thorn? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we talked a little bit about um, Cameron. I think that's fine. One, right? I just assumed there was going to be deleted scenes or something like that. And it's not. The Sheriff? He's such yeah. a this huge, larger-than-life character. Odd, isn't it? And he's just sort of background. But do I kind of like that. Do you think he makes a reference to Halloween 6 when he goes, oh, what are we going to do? Ban Halloween? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. A hundred percent. Yes, odd. But the it's kind of interesting, this podcast, we've mm. not talked about Laurie at all. So no. much to talk about. But the survivors of this film in that end shot... Mm. It's three generations of the same family. It's yeah. Laurie, Karen, and Allison. It's a really interesting thing to have, essentially, at the end, three leads mm. ganging up on Michael. Absolutely, yeah. Um, let's talk about Laurie, because I think there's a really good... It's weird deja vu. We've mm. almost had this premise before in H2O. Yeah. And in H2O, the emphasis is she survived, she's hiding. Mm. In this film, she's gone through immense trauma, yeah. and she's tackled that. She's handled it badly. She's an alcoholic, but she's handled it by hiding yeah. and assuming a new identity L moving to california in this film she's gone through the same traumatic experience yeah this one she's not moved yeah. she's defiantly stayed where she is yeah and spent the last 40 years preparing for him to come back yeah there's two different approaches to handling trauma there yeah, yeah. one is very much head-on yeah it's fantastic i apparently this was uh i i didn't see it at the time it was quite famous at the time but an old colleague of ours uh roth uh referred to her as grambo yeah, uh, and it really made me laugh because <laughs> that is basically what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> big Sarah Connor energy as well. Huge. Yeah, and I also think that with Sarah Connor, made that comparison with what she does to Karen when she's bringing her up. Yeah. In the same way that Sarah Connor hooks up with all these dudes that could teach John valuable skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's turning Karen into a survivalist from a very early age. Yeah. Which, when you actually think through, is right that Karen is taken away from her because she doesn't have a childhood. No. And so they a big part of this film is. I mean, they don't overplay it, but there's some really good scenes where you get a sense of how they've estranged from one another. It's quite... And the life that Karen has to lead, whereas Alison has a connection with Grandma. Yeah. It's a very interesting little triangle there. I really tension. love that, yeah. Because it's a really... What I think is really clever about it as well, and in a, in a worse film, this plays differently and goes differently and is a, a, a stupid thing. When Karen lies to Alison, Karen lies to her and says like, oh... I actually contacted her and she can't come. That's all fibs. And mm. Alison has caught her out in a fib, but then doesn't kind of like massively confront her yeah. about it. In a shitter film, that's a bigger thing. Yeah, yeah. In this, it's really subtle and sort of like flies under the radar a little bit. I think bit. they get like, a, that's a really lot classy. Of, 
Absolutely. Mm. I think they get a lot of that through, through not many scenes at all. Yeah. I think it's, it's really, really good. I think that is a thing that would happen as well, because obviously Alison hasn't had that upbringing. She doesn't understand why her grandmother is sort of vilified by her mum as much as she is, you know? And it's kind of hard. Like it's yeah, kind of hard shielded to watch from it. Exactly, yeah. But yeah, I guess that's a really, really hard one as well, because Ray, poor Ray, who, like, he gets a good death and, you know, it's not making our lists, but I'm gutted they killed off Ray. I think that's um, going to be interesting for the next film because that's a death with real consequence. Huge, yeah. You know, somebody has lost their husband and Alison has lost her father yeah. going into this next film. Yeah. And a big part of this film is about dealing with past trauma. That's going to be really recent trauma. Yeah. They won't have time to mourn him, presumably. Yeah. Because Michael's still at large. Yeah. But then you're taking all that anger into the fight with Michael. That's true. So this yeah. is a really interesting dynamic. So it's really cool that essentially in this film we have three final girls. Mm. My, one of my favorite scenes is at the end when Karen's in the basement with oh, a sniper rifle. My God. When I saw that in the busy, like the full screening, yeah. it was so good because I knew what was happening because you and I had already seen it the yeah, day before. Yeah. This is why I think the scene works so well. Yeah. Is obviously as a trope of horror films that some female leads are quite helpless. It's useless, yeah. Absolutely useless. And she's crying and screaming at the end. The sniper rifle is waving around. Yeah. There was a woman behind me in the screen and she went, oh, sure, woman, just do it. Yeah. And what was brilliant is the film was one step ahead of that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they should go, oh, stupid woman in a horror know. film. Yeah, yeah, And the film is one step ahead of you. Yeah. And when she comes into shot, he goes, gotcha. Yeah. It is such a fantastic moment. Yeah. I actually love that bit. It's so good, right? Because all the training kicks in. And, it goes, and she's like luring him in. It goes down so well, but also at the same time, do you know how hard it is to have gotcha as an actual line? Because... Mm. That's a, it's only one word, but the intonation of it, how it's delivered, it's solid. That is solid. Like but, with yeah. a bad, with a bad actress, that doesn't go down as well. Well done, Judy Greer. She just goes cold at that moment yeah, when she yeah, takes yeah. the shot. And what I like about that sequence as well is it requires all three of them working together to take down Michael. Because mm. at that point, Laurie appears from behind him, which is obviously an echo of the first film. Yeah. She hits him. And then Allison delivers the vital knife slash that gets yeah. him trapped. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. all three of them have to work together to fend off this attacker. But what's really cool as well, because if you think about it, like, does Laurie in that moment know what Karen is doing? I think she would trust her. Because she has to wait in that darkness and you just go, Karen's doing a really good job of selling that, of being like, selling that helpless routine. Absolutely. And Laurie doesn't step in. So what's, maybe it's what's play, that? Maybe it's a play they've Maybe run. it's a play they've run. Yeah, yeah that would be very cool. I love that. The, it's a lovely little detail. I love that the sniper rifle she uses has childhood graffiti on it. Yeah. And her initials, which is sad and weird. Like you would personalize your school notebook. It's really cute, yeah. But another thing, talk about like dynamics as well. What's that dynamic going into the next film now? Because Karen, for years, yeah. has resented Laurie because you're like, you robbed me of my childhood for this fucking useless training that I'm never going to use because you are around the bend and you think this guy's going to come after you and he's not going to come after you. And because of that, you wrecked my life. Now she's going, oh, actually, she was this is, what, this is actually well good. It's actually bang on. So like, what's that dynamic then? Because then you're rediscovering I a new relationship with both, though. Yeah, so course, yeah. Like... Yes is great, and yes, you were right. He is really dangerous, and he can't be killed, but yeah. still a shit childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then is she... Well, could we not have just moved? Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, now, is she going to have like a sort of newfound sort of respect and love for her mum? Because you just go, oh, actually, ma'am, you were bang on, to be fair. 
So what, I, think, I think that's great. What do you think? Because they do it three times, I think, in the film is have Laurie intentionally in the place of Michael from the original. Yeah. So she's outside of school looking in. Yeah. The voice of the teacher in that scene is Linda. I know, it's bonkers, isn't it? The second one is the balcony scene and she's gone. Yeah. And then the third is her appearing from the shadows. Yeah. So, you know, happy Halloween, Michael. It, it's, it's this weird mirroring, even mm. though they're not related in this film. It's almost, I guess, what it's kind of visually implying is she's become a killer. Yeah. Or she's, her life is, she's this weird mirror opposite of Michael, mm. but also quite similar to him in some ways. I hope that is the extent of it. Oh yeah, I hope they don't keep doing it. And I hope. I even think the third I mean, one's maybe, I, no, I like all three of them. Yeah. It's just when you take them in unison, it's getting very close to like, oh, it could be a bit too much now. Well, no, what I mean is as well, is like, I don't mind about seeing a couple more, that's absolutely fine, but. I hope the significance of it isn't, well, we foreshadowed it in the first oh, no, one no. that she is going to become the killer because I don't nah, want her to become the killer. I don't the think killer. they'll ever do that. I think they're just having fun. Yeah, with okay, fun. good. That's fine, yeah. Having those three in their truck, that's sort of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre moment. It really at the is, end. Yeah. It's really, really good. I think there's a lot of little um, things in this actually remind me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. You know when they're at the gas station and there's just that odd woman in the car that looks yeah, like the podcaster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what's that? It's kind of just very hostile environment, like, you shouldn't be around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think like all, like a lot of the castings I mean, that I can't in the in the courtyard. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, very yeah. unsettling. Yeah, and that's the thing. I have no idea what's going to happen in these next films. I'm so excited. Hmm. If I had some other kind of babysitter, she'd be reading me a story. I wouldn't be up clipping my nasty ass toenails. Uh huh. Go to bed. You used to be cool. We used to be friends, but now. You know what I'm looking for. <laughs> okay, come on, go to bed. It's way past your bedtime. You want to be a good kid? All right, let's talk about Michael's motivations then. We do get like a really nice line from Sartain, who says, Is he on a random path or is he emotionally driven, triggered by something? Perhaps some unheard marching order imprinted on his very being. I kind of like that. Mm. And being like, like saying, is he being led by that? So that is implying that is there an evil working through him? Mm. I get because while he is extravagant, he does it never really invokes evil no. as much as Loomis did. I mean, Loomis loved a bit of evil. To yeah, be fair. yeah, yeah. I think removing the connection to Laurie through blood mm -hmm. simplifies it a lot. Again, yeah. he's just killing no real agenda and motivation. I think the big question I had watching this again this time, and I don't think we've ever talked about this, is he going after Laurie? Yeah. I don't think he is. Laurie says at one point, He waited for this night. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. I don't know if she's reading into it too much. Because mm. obviously she spent the last 40 years affected by the events of that night. Yeah. And it's distorted her life. Michael doesn't seem to be hunting her down. He only no. gets out because Sartain engineers it. Yeah. Because yeah, he yeah. wants to watch it. And he only then meets her in that house. He yeah. doesn't like make a beeline for her. No. There's a scene where I think he meets her close up and he does the head tilt. Yeah. Some people read that as the first time when Michael goes, Oh shit, that's oh, you. Oh, it's you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't think a lot of what he does in this film necessarily is him going, making a play for Laurie. I'm going to go along with that. I like, Which, really I like I actually, that, yeah. I actually prefer that. I think that's really good. It's like he literally, the head tilt is like almost like a moment of realization. He's like, holy shit, you're the girl, man. And I also like the idea of Laurie reading into it more, yeah. making herself almost more important because it has been the single defining 
moment of her life. Yeah, that's like the um, the really funny like M Bison line, isn't it? It's just like that. <laughs> like the, that night was the worst night of your life for me. It was a Saturday. <laughs> I think Tuesday in the film, Saturday there. I think that's spot on, and yeah. I think that almost then for me makes him scarier again because. Mm. There is no agenda. No. He's just, like you said, unheard marching orders. Yeah, yeah. He happens across Vicky because he's just on that little street. Is he's it? on that little street. He goes to Gina's house. And he's like, oh, let's make my way down the street then, shall I? It's too hard. He's just killing, isn't he? <laughs> and then he only, Laurie turns up mm. and he, he, like, she sees him in the mirror. He does the head tilt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she shoots him later on. Mm. And then that's, he's then transported to near Laurie's house by the police. Yeah. He hasn't got himself there. No, 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 yeah. So I think if you, it's very easy to walk away, go, oh, he's going for Laurie Strode. But actually when you interrogate the events of the film, you go, is it just by chance throughout again? And obviously she is actively seeking him out. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. more she's getting in his way than yeah. he's going after her. I guess that's like a little bit scary in a way, but then also at the same time, maybe it makes him looking at her at the end slightly less scary because it almost feels like there's less of an adversarial thing going on where he's like, oh God, we're not going after this one. Because uh, oh, I was doing all right down uh, she, in Julian's she house. She always does me in. Yeah. I, I, I should have escaped when I got transferred to Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> I think also you, because this is a sequel to the original, you're bringing back all that knowledge from the sequels, mm. which were always... Michael's out, he's going for Laurie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or someone related to Laurie was the, was the template for pretty much all the sequels. Yeah. So you're almost like projecting that onto this one. But when you actually look at it, it's much more random yeah, what and, he's doing. And also that makes it way scarier. Yeah. And also you've got, you've got to do less of a job as a writer then where you just go, oh, it's his, it's his sister. Oh, it's his niece. Oh, and it's, fuck off, man. No, I, I think murder. in the sequels, they're like, it'll kill them because they're just standing in his way. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Blade loves a bit of killing. I'm, I'm oh man, so excited for it. So let's talk about whether or not he's pure evil then, right? Because there's some stuff that happens. And I'm go, I have to go on while well, it's just in this film. But there is a bit in one of the features, and we'll definitely put it in, where, Laura, where Jamie Lee Curtis says, Michael Myers in that mask represents pure evil. Like, well, if she's saying it then. Represents. Yeah, exactly. But is it, Grandma, it, can you just is, say? Is he pure evil? Say. We have a lot less discussion about him being evil or, you know, famously Loomis was the character who espoused yeah. this in, in the original. Um, we've always tallied it with things he was capable of doing. Yeah. I think in this one, there are dis displays of strength and he's yeah. way stronger than you think a 61-year-old should be. Yeah. But for me, he takes some severe hits and keeps on going. Yeah. Laurie shoots him in the chest early on at the house. Mm -hmm. Then later on, she blows off fingers with a shotgun. I mean, a normal person is losing a sizable amount of blood at that point and not being able to fight. Yeah. Surely. Yeah. yeah like yeah. you'd be bleeding out. Yeah. You'd have to call. You'd have to have a tourniquet it like pretty yeah. quick. And she shoots him in the chest when he's walking away from the Vicky house, the babysitter yeah. house. So I think those are little elements for me that you go, he might be pure. He also he gets hit by a car. Yeah. He's 61. Yeah, that's true. You get At some speed as well. Yeah, that's quite So I think out. those ones, even though this film doesn't really, maybe they're giving themselves some space for the sequels, mm. they don't really address the pure evil thing. No. That's all corroborating evidence for me that would suggest he is potentially still quite evil. 
I also really like the, the, so for me, the connection to the mask is the thing that I'm like, okay, there's something, there's another element going on here. This isn't, we're not just in mortal realms here because I, even though obviously you would have a connection to that mask, when that mask is brought out and maybe it's just the noise and stuff like that, he's not even looking at it, but it's almost he like he can sense it, you know? And that it has this like power over him. It's that line, so I think it's like, he can speak. He just chooses not to. I'd love to stand closer to him, if I may. Get a sense of his awareness or lack of awareness. Oh, make no mistake, he's aware. He was watching you as we arrived. Well, I love the idea. It's like, oh, he can speak. He just chooses not to. Which, I mean, again... That's more terrifying. Not speak, you've not spoken for, well, even longer than four yeah, years. Yeah. It'll be the time when he was a child. Exactly, yeah. But yeah, the connection to the mask is a really big one for me because it's just... How does he find the reporters? This is what I was trying to figure out. Does he find the reporters because he knows where the mask is? Mm, that's a good point. How does he happen across the the things of the garage? He, yeah, I don't know how he tracks them down because he's follow, yeah. he follows them to the garage, doesn't he? Yeah, but how does he track them down? Tracks them down because he knows where that mask is. He can, he's got a connection to that mask, and he can like that is supernatural. I love when he puts that mask on. Yeah, so good. So this, I mean, if you're nothing without the mask, you don't deserve the mask. But the this mask is, makes me pure evil. Oh, there's, a, there's a lot in here, and. I've been a big believer in the fact that he's not pure evil, but this is the closest I'm getting, I think, to him being pure evil and there being something else going on. I hope they set, I hope they explore that in the next two films. Yeah. But without invoking any, I don't think they would do this anyway, but mm. no actual genuine, don't give me a reason for it. No. But I'm up for like some characters going, he cannot be killed. Yeah, yeah, and we yeah. don't know why. Yeah. You don't have to dwell on it for too long. But then they're going to have to construct an, a, an actual ingenious way of actually killing him in the third one. Mm. I don't know why. How do you kill pure evil? Well, did that house blow up? It's on fire. So you haven't watched any of the trailers? I've watched any of the trailers, oh, okay. no. So I don't know. Like, the first trailer explains a little bit why he might Oh, really? Okay, right. yeah. Well, okay, that's fine then, yeah. But yeah. But I don't mind it. No, I don't mind it at all. I mean, he doesn't mind it because I get another two films out of it. And if they're as good as this one, then that's absolutely fine. Is he pure evil though, Daniel? I think he might still have it. I think this is as closest that he's ever been to pure evil. How about that? Right, before we leave you this week, we want to talk about next week's episode on Halloween Kills. It is a very special episode because you're not just going to be hearing from me and Gav. We've also got the director, David Gordon Green, and Laurie Strode herself, Jamie Lee Curtis. What? I know. You're telling me, Daniel, that <laughs> our little podcast that you and i started because we love these films so much is 10 weeks ago has caught the attention of hollywood california so much that we are going to get jamie lee curtis on this podcast we, we got an email from the blumhouse what that is something else that is absolutely bonkers that is it's a shame you weren't in yeah no, i know i i was on whales duty i was on whales duty <laughs> so jamie lee curtis is like um i've got to go see whales she's like i understand i understand she understood yeah yeah, yeah. that is absolutely fantastic because i interviewed her when we were working at ign about halloween 2018 so i'm assuming she was asking about me quite you had to like go can we please move on to talk about halloween kills she's like no I want to know where the chunky hairy guy is. Is that what? No, she knew where he was. She knew you had two away fixtures. Oh, of course. She must. Oh, she, from the gram. She's she's looking at my gram. She, you've got that shared calendar with her. 
I was a bit worried about Intuna because not only is she incredibly famous and in one of my favorite films of all time, she is the most confident person I think I've ever met. Oh, yeah. And there's one bit, and we'll play it for you next week, where I'm not sure if she's taking the mick out of me or not, and I couldn't tell. Right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean, because there was like a bit... She's got, like, winds you up a bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, I've talked a little bit about it when... Uh, on this podcast before but she noticed when i was interviewing that i had a michael myers tattoo as a cat and i've never been so embarrassed in my life and it was like i think it went really well but there were yeah there's definitely bits in the interview like i asked her if she'd seen the if she'd seen the prestige and she said no which and that was one of our favorite films and i was like oh you should definitely watch it and she was like not my she was like do you know what my favorite christian bale uh film is uh, Newsies, and she found out I hadn't seen it, and she freaked out. I still never watched it. Sorry, Jamie, because I'm assuming she'd be listening to this podcast, so she'll hear. She can hear my apology live. I still haven't seen it, but I swear to God, I will fix that soon. She's fantastic, and David Gordon Green's fantastic. And we asked them about the masks, Michael's performance, Michael's motivations, and also whether he is pure evil. And after you see Halloween Kills you'll realize that they have some very interesting answers on all of those topics. I can't wait, man. Yeah, and to just to whet the appetite, until next week, we're going to play you a little clip where I asked Jamie Lee Curtis if she felt any special ownership over the Halloween franchise and why the 2018 version differs from H2O. When I say I'm not involved, I, I should have been a producer on H2O. It should have been totally produced by, because the whole thing was my idea, Coming Back was my idea. Laurie Running was my idea. The whole idea of, you know, when, when you're confronted with trauma the way Laurie has been, you have two choices, only two, fight, flight. H2O was about flight. It was about running, hiding, changing, you know, always looking over your shoulder, always looking over your shoulder, trying to live a life of freedom, but that's why she's an alcoholic. You can't, you can't be running and looking over your shoulder and be free. We've seen at the beginning of Black, uh, Black Widow, you know, the, the family that's together and they're living a kind of fake life. And then boom, they have to run away. No life. You can't. When you're running, you're not free. So then the end of that movie, of course, there's the moment where she realizes, I'm getting everybody safe. I'm going to lock the gate, throw away the key, face him, he dies, I die. If I die, I die a hero trying, but I'm going to be free because I'm dead from this fear. If he dies, I'm free because I've killed it. Like, it's, it's a win-win. So, you know, that was a movie that I actually came up with that whole idea. Literally. How they implemented it, I didn't. I, I had kids at home. I was still trying to do my dance. So I didn't go, but I'm the producer here, guys. You got it, you know. I should have, I didn't. On the next episode, we're finding out what happened in Halloween Kill, so make sure you see the film before then. And we'll have lots more to ask Jamie Lee Curtis and director David Gordon Green about, including whether Michael is pure evil. The Definitive Companion is made by RKG. We make podcasts and videos about things we love, including manifestations of pure evil. If you'd like to find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash RKG.